So as we get tonight started, I did this exercise, and I think I might have done this in here before, but we're going to do it again because I always think it's fun. And I also did it with our uh, high school students last night. Uh, we're going through the book of James. How many of you guys were here when we went through James? Yeah, that was a real fun series. And so we hit James chapter 3, and it's all about the power of the tongue and the mouth and how our words affect people. Um, and so as I was going through, so I'm going to ask you guys the same question because it actually really pertains to kind of the... The topic we're hitting tonight, um, I have developed a tough skin. Um, also, I really don't care what your opinion is of, uh, is of me, so that always helps too. Um, but when someone says, what do you think of Pastor Mitch? First thing that comes to your mind, no filter. When someone goes, hey, Andy, what do you think of Pastor Mitch? You're going to go, he's weird, right? So, what, so when I ask the question, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anybody? Yeah. <laughs> okay, thanks. It's the dad bod. Um, what else we got? Do you, do you don't hold back, I promise. The first thing that pops in your head. Do not be shy. Calvin, okay, amen. Getting on the right track. What else? Kermit? <laughs> if you, yeah, if you, yes. Oh, you remember that one. Nice. If you were in here, I said if, 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 if it wasn't for Jesus, I probably wouldn't hang out with any of you, so... <laughs> For just being honest, Daniel. Challenging. Challenging. Belgium. Belgium, yes. What else? Anything else? <laughs> Emerus, what you got? Cre- <laughs> you right. You right. <laughs> Bi- Thanks. <laughs> Nick, did you have a hand raise or what? No, you're like, nah. Jaden, say it. I already. Edgy? Ed- ooh. Like early 2000s youth pastor edgy or like. <laughs> Okay, where I, all my announcements and illustrations, I go like this so I can show my tattoos to people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, sweet. So this is kind of why I brought this up. Wait, what'd you say? Who? Say it all, Sandra. Okay, is it the fact that we don't have dressing anymore? I know, I'm sorry. You can blame Daniel. He threw it all over the floor. So. All right, this is why I bring this up. Because if you're new with us tonight, and I do see some new faces, and I'm super excited, and if you didn't get half of the references that were made, you probably will experience, like, the Kermit the Frog at some point tonight. It's just, it happens uh, whenever I illustrate something. It's, I don't know what comes over me. Um, But we're doing a series, as you can see, called Slow Fade, and this whole series is around the deconstruction movement, and kind of, for those of you who have had questions about your faith, or you're questioning your faith, or someone of you, some of you might be saying, hey, I'm kind of walking away. And so we've, we pulled a whole bunch of questions and experiences from people in the room and even people online who kind of follow us and some of you who go off to college and come back and bring some of the experiences. And we formed it into the series. And there's not really an end date to the series. Um, we're really just going based off conversations. And as new things pop up and as it kind of runs its course, then we'll kind of shift focus. Normally we plan everything out. Like we spent all of fall going through, I think, Romans, right? Like I think we did all of Romans chapter by chapter in the fall. But um, one of the major topics, so, so to open up our series two weeks ago, and you can go back and look at it or listen to it on YouTube and all that stuff, um, we brought up four of our other pastors from the church um, with immense wisdom and, and, and just years of experience, both good and bad in the church kind of community. And we answered a lot of these questions already. And we talked about the goodness of God and suffering. We talked about um, toxic leadership within the church. Uh, and then a lot of in the open question time, we talked, of, there was a lot of questions asked about how do we balance church and the LGBTQ movement, right? 
How do we witness to these people? How do we handle this situation? How do we go in with politics? And we covered all those stories and those, those moments. And then from there, that really helped me kind of pinpoint where I wanted to go. And so last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the poison of convenience. We talked about the fact that a lot of us, the, the 96% of young adults from 18 to 28 who walk away from the church after high school walk away from the local church because it becomes inconvenient. You either move, you either get a job, right, that takes you away, or since now you're not in your parents' home anymore, it's easier for you to just walk out and not have to wake up and watch it online, right? And we talked about being content over having convenience. There's some of us in this room tonight who drive over an hour to be here on a Thursday night or a Sunday morning because they're willing to go for contentment and good godly community than the convenience of something that's not working out for them. And that takes courage. That takes strength. And there's a lot of us in this room that there's a lot of things weighing on your heart and minds and souls tonight that could easily distract you and pull you from being here. And yet you're pushing into contentment and you're pressing into the local church. And we, so we covered that. And so tonight I want to talk about what we, what, what we kind of call in the kind of the Christian community the clobber passages. And pretty much these are the six scriptures that people and passages that people go to in the Bible that have been used against homosexuality. Because a lot of our conversation was on the topic of, hey, we live in downtown St. Pete. We have a lot of interactions. Hey, we have friends in this community. Hey, we used to be part of this community. What's going on? How do we balance this? How do we walk through it? We have no idea. And so what I thought would be kind of, I say fun because I'm a nerd, but what I thought we would do is actually just address the six passages for some of us might not know anything that I'm talking about. And so let's walk through these real fast. I have them up on the screen too because it's kind of just a, a, a run through of a, a couple different passages. But um, in Genesis uh, chapter 19, uh, Nick, if you can actually start in verse five on there. I think I did the whole passage and it's not actually on the whole passage I want to read. Um, but it's in, verse, it's in chapter 19 starting in verse four, uh, verse five and it goes, then he called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? So, so these angels came to visit, and he brought them into the home, and the men in the community were already trying to bust down their doors because it was something different. They were so deranged in Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were so immoral that new people showed up, and their first thought was, let's go find them. And so that kind of sets the stage for us. And so now they're banging at the door and they say, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. And you're going, okay, like they just want to be friends, right? Like I want to get to know that girl at the other table, right? Like there's some guys in here who are like future wife maybe, right? Let's keep reading. Lot went out to these men at the entrance, shut the door after him. And in verse 7, he says, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Like, they just want to say hi. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Man, Lot's a horrible dad. They don't have friends. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do to them as you please. Oh, that changed the whole conversation. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. See, we all know this. A lot of us know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It burns down. Judgment rains on them for their sexual immorality. 
And it comes to a head in this, in this narrative that we see where the people of the town were so deranged that they're trying to beat down someone's door just because there's two dudes who are different. We want to get to them. They're exotic. It's so wicked that Lot's only thought isn't like, hey, like back off or I'll like stab you. I don't know. Something normal when someone's trying to like break into your house. So wicked that Lot's like, hey, at least it's like normal for a guy to chase after a woman. So I have two daughters. Like that's the thought process for this passage. In Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. If we read it in its full context, it's, they're going through the laws. And he says, you shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife. It's usually good. Don't cheat. Don't commit, a, you know, adultery. And so make yourself unclean with her. In verse 21 in Leviticus 18, it goes on to say, you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech. And so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So what are they saying? They're saying, hey, mm, I don't know. Stop doing out-of-the-womb abortions. Please stop offering your kids on a flaming hot statue. He goes on to say, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, and so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is a perversion. Some people read that passage and they're going, yeah, well, in the original Hebrew, they're talking about pedophiles. That word in the Greek, that's, and that's some of the hermeneutics they do. They say that's just, they're talking about pedophiles and bestiality, nothing to do with homosexuality. Don't know how we get there because they're clearly walking through and saying, don't lie with a male as you would a woman. But we keep going to these passages. Leviticus chapter 20, just a few chapters over in verse 13. In case 18 didn't clear it up, in, chapter, or in verse 13 it goes, If there is a man who lies with a man, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. Romans 1, 26 and 27. Then men abandoned their natural function, uh, their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. The first part of it states, do not be deceived, neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers nor um, effeminate nor homosexuals nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 1, 9 through 10. Law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and uh, perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. And so when we read these passages, here's, here's, here's what's happened in our world today. Instead of going based off of the word of God, the intent of the authors, understanding the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, here's the problem with America. Yeah, we're going that route. No. We're way, we're way too comfortable in church. 
to where we start arguing over basic truths. When we've talked about this with the convenience of church, there's people literally risking getting an AK to the face just so they can maybe read one page and before their church gets shut down in China. I think sometimes we need to just have a healthy reminder and a healthy fear of what we're reading when we come to it. But we have too much free time on our hands. Instead of going out and serving the Lord or going out and leading people to Christ, we start sitting down and going, well, that word in the Greek can be used three different ways. I'm sorry, but all of us sitting in this room, including myself, including even Martha, including even her amazing husband, Jeff, there are scholars and, and translators who have spent decades upon decades learning the Hebrew and the Greek and the translations that what I try to say might be can't compare to what they've already done. I can't sit there and go, oh, the guy who made the ESV version, they are idiots. Jeff might be able to. He's a wicked smart human being, and he is scholar upon scholars. But for most of us in this room to sit here and try and argue translation, how many Greek classes have any of you taken? Okay. <laughs> Talk about those English text messages you send me then. <laughs> it's because you know so much Greek, the spelling just goes all over the place. Don't worry, I get all my stuff proofread. <laughs> oh. But here's what happens is, is liberal theology kicks in, right? It's, we, we connect our faith with our politics. We connect our political agenda and how we interpret the law of, of the land to how we interpret the law of God. And there's three major reasons that we attest to how Scripture can be twisted. And so for some people, they go, well, Christians are just prejudiced against homosexuals, and that leads them to misread biblical texts about homosexuality. Pretty much they say Christians come in with a presupposition, and so they're reading the Bible wrong. But for that argument to stand, it completely knocks out their own kneecaps because they're bringing their own prejudice back in it to say that you're wrong. So we can't stand on that. You can't look at me and go, well, you're a bully because you're just, you were grown up to be a bully. Okay, you were grown up to think that the Bible says something different. Your argument can take you out in a heartbeat. They think that the scriptures that supposedly condemn homosexuality, homosexual behavior has been mistranslated. I, again, would venture to say how many of those people have actually studied Hebrew and Greek? Or how many of them have just watched YouTube videos and read blogs? See, they claim that the wording used in Leviticus talks about pedophilia and bestiality rather than homosexuality, yet in the same Greek and Hebrew wording in both testaments and sharing a similar context, it helps shows us that it's actually talking about improper sexual relations. That's why we think, con that's not why we think, that's why we know context is king. I take it back to every single, man, we, we were talking with some of our senior guys who, who didn't realize that John 3.16 actually talked about what happens to people if they don't believe in Jesus. Because in our culture, we've been so taught that John 3.16 is God's love, right? He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, right? But have eternal life. We almost glaze over the parish, because we're trying to get to the eternal life, right? But what we're not understanding that is so if they don't believe, they perish. 17 and 18 are actually the capstone to the whole passage. 
for Christ. And they, right, liberal theology would then read you into, hey, see, Jesus is love. Because Jesus did not con- come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Take that, Christians. God is love, and love is love, so do whatever you want. But then 18 brings you right back into it and says, yeah, the reason he didn't come to condemn is because we're already condemned. The moment Adam and Eve fell, the moment fall happened, three chapters into the whole story of humanity, all of us are on a one-way track to hell. Why is God so loving? Not because he just lets you do whatever you want, but because he's giving you away so that you can have redemption. God doesn't have to condemn because you and I are already condemned. That's why Christ brings redemption and not just confrontation. We think about the woman caught in adultery, right? Everyone's like, how could it just not be about love, right? She doesn't have to, nothing has to change. He stopped the religious people from killing the sinner. That's true Christianity. Be rebellious. Go against the... Literally goes, hey, uh, hmm, how about you go and sin no more? But we forget that part of the story. We, We forget about context when it comes to Scripture constantly. And that's where we get these wonky one-off verses. And the last one, this one honestly is my, this one blows my mind even more now when I, when I see all these people claiming to be like scientists on Facebook, right? Like during COVID, everyone became a scientist. If I had to answer one more phone call when I worked at the animal hospital, if we sold ivermectin for people, my goodness. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, man, I would have said some dumb stuff. And I might have, honestly. It was hot, and I had to wear a mask, and I had to wear scrubs going outside and pick up animals. I probably said some dumb things. But in 2020, in this whole culture, and this whole culture shock, and this whole, this new just revolution of everyone becoming their own and, and subject to reality and subjective morals, everyone's become their own philosopher. Everyone's become their own religious savior. And then they make claims like this. Scripture that supposedly condemned homosexual behavior has been taken out of context and do not apply to our present society. Almost every scholar of liberal theology that I've watched, this is their scholarly wisdom. Well, Paul just, he didn't know. The writers of the Bible were so long ago that they really didn't have to deal with these problems. So like, they just... They didn't know, so it wasn't pertinent to the situation. If we are just reading the Bible because it's authored by man, we got to talk about even the gospel that you claim that you might believe. The, The Bible's fully inspired, authored by the Holy Spirit via human authors. How else are you going to get 66 books of a Bible that tell one unified story of Christ? thousands of years apart over a plethora of different countries you're going to tell me oh well Paul was pretty smart but like he just didn't understand gender what 
You're telling me the guy who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, co-equal to the Father and Son, got it wrong? We can't come to this book and go, you know what, John 3.16 is holy and inspired and it's eternal. It's what saved my soul because God is love. But then read Genesis, even Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where it talks about how he made them male and female. And how when a male and a female come together in unity in front of God, they become one flesh. I don't even have to go to any of these other passages to show you that these three thought processes fail. And I think there's a lot of you in this room who you might be having some discomfort right now. You're probably already looking at me going, what an idiot, that guy is so wrong. I can't stand him. And I can promise you if we had an actual in-depth conversation one-on-one, I would find out very fast that you've been hurt by something like this before. That someone's used scripture against you and it's hurt you. That people have been walking around on the side of the streets bashing you over the head with this book. Claiming you're not good enough. Claiming that if you have any ounce of sin, you're going to hell. And they're not wrong. You're not good enough. And if you commit even one sin, you are going to hell. But we have to work through this hurt, and that's why we're doing this series. Because I, I, I can't allow, right? If, if God puts the call out to say, hey, if you're a teacher of the word, there's double judgment. I will stand in front of the throne of Christ one day, and he's going to say, hey, how did you teach about how your young adults interact with the LGBTQ plus community? And it's going to go one or two ways. Thankfully, at the end of it all, he says, I wipe away every tear. Just being honest. And I think there is some of us in this room tonight that we do look at the Bible and we say, yeah, it's useful. Yeah, it's, it's got good morals in it. Like, I like Jesus and what he did. I don't really like Paul. I don't like Leviticus. Why do we even read Leviticus? I thought that was Old Testament. That's because we couldn't think of a better way to claim it. And it's just it's the old side of things before Jesus. Old covenant. Not bad covenant. Not wasteless covenant, right? Not let, you don't have to read it anymore, so unhitch it from your theology. It's still God's word. Who says if you add or remove one thing, let you be accursed. And that even falls down to people who sit there and then tell you, well, you just misinterpreted that word or, or Paul didn't know about homosexuality enough. Paul didn't study gender ideology enough. I'm sorry, I would like anyone, I'm honestly gonna be surprised, not in a mean way. Any of you doctorates in biology? When you formed your opinion about marriage, any of you, any of you scientists? about how gender and sexuality are laid out. Like I might have one type of chromosome, but I really feel a different way and that's okay. Or have most of us formed, if we're being honest, have most of us formed our opinions 
because of people on TikTok. If there is one platform, like if I could be like Elon Musk and just buy whatever I needed to, like I would buy TikTok and just run it into the ground. I hate TikTok. It's not helpful at all. Honestly, the internet as a whole, and this is probably going to age me. I'm an old man. The internet as a whole is just now poison to me. Because it gives anyone a voice. I love this. I was listening to a guy, his name's Sinclair Ferguson, and he's an amazing pastor, and he has an amazing accent too, so that's also fun to listen to. Um, but he was, he was, they were bringing him and talking about pastoral care, and he said this, and it's something that I have to watch myself too because we do have our messages up on a podcast. We do put our messages out on YouTube for college students who have to go away or people who might miss so they can stay in fact. And, and I even myself can run the risk of, hey, am I doing enough on social media to get our youth group in? Am I doing enough on social media to get our young adults to want to come back the next week? I can fall to that poison. But then I get reminded of what he said. He said, every time I see a pastor post a blog about some random opinion, I see one elderly woman in his church not being taken care of. And then it reminded me. Where are we going to get our truth? Where are we going to learn how to care for others? Where are we going to live like Christ? Do we want to go sit under sound people? And that, that have gone and done the training? Or do we want to go listen to some dude on TikTok with the, like, the weird haircut that's like buzzed and that's really long up top? Right? It, it just blows my mind that that's what determines our theology. That's what determines our political stances. There's some of you who have been hurt by those passages, and there's some of you in this room who have used those passages to attack people. There are some of you in this room who have used these passages to blatantly just rip people to shreds. And there's some of you in this room right now, you're like, yes, LGBTQ is a sin. Keep preaching it. <laughs> and tonight, I hope you feel just as much as conviction as the other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We read this just before and we used it, right? We said amen to it. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So I guess women are fine. Nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, and everyone said amen, right? Yes. Kick the sinners out of heaven. How many of you glaze over verse 11? As such were some of you. Is there anyone in this room who just right out of the womb, never sinned? Anybody? That's what I thought. How many of you came to a point in your life that once the gospel was given to you, you realized how much of a sinner you were? And there's some of us sitting in this room, they're like, I mean, I was always a pretty good kid. Jesus just kind of like came along and like made me better. I can promise you, my wife at seven, when she gave her life to Christ, wasn't just like, oh, Jesus brings us gifts. <laughs> no, the correct fear of the Lord was placed in her heart. And even at seven years old, she was able to acknowledge the fact that she was a sinner. 
who no matter how good she was and how sweet she now is, amen, <laughs> she's still a sinner. And at seven, she understood that only Jesus could save her from that problem. It wasn't until I was 16 that I realized I will fail as a man. I will never be a good godly husband. I will never be a good godly dad. I will never be a good godly friend unless I have Christ because I tried it without him and I already told you once, I probably wouldn't be friends with any of you if it wasn't for the sake of Jesus. That was the path I was going down. I'm not ashamed to say it. If I didn't have Christ and she even gave me the time of day, I promise you we would never, actually, never mind, I won't go down that story again. She broke up with me once, it's fine. I was just saved and I was still a raging idiot, less than I am now, or no more than I was, no, whatever. <laughs> but I think so often we get so enthralled in fighting for the right moral standard that the Bible gives us that we forget where we once used to be. That should be an amen for us. Not just send the liars, homosexuals, and drunkards to hell. It should be that we are a wretch. Yet we are saved. We all love the song Amazing Grace, right? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's not Amazing Grace how sweet the sound it was to a decently cool seven-year-old girl, right? Right? It was how sweet is that seven-year-old wretch that is now saved. I pro for anybody in here who has had children or has children, right? I'm about to experience this side of it. You want to see the reality of sin? Watch my niece try to get a bottle from anyone but her mother. Oh my goodness. It is like the wailing and gnashing of teeth. She's sassy. No one taught her that. No one taught her how to be sassy. No one taught her how to throw temper tantrums. Kids naturally do it. Sin is natural to us. Grace, that's why it's so profound. didn't even finish the verse and such were some of you but you were washed you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of jesus christ by the spirit of our god could you imagine if the people who shared the gospel with you treated you the way you treat some people now that you're a believer probably wouldn't be a believer how often are we morally and, and socially checking ourselves in light of the gospel? But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit. Did you, did you save yourself? Did you sanctify yourself? Did you justify yourself? Were you saved in your name? And by your power, it was by the completed work of Christ Jesus and the sweet feet that preached the good news that brought it to your ears where you saved by the Holy Spirit.
but how will they hear if it is not preached? And how will they have faith if it is not taught? It's always a receiving. Once we're saved, then Paul tells us, yeah, work it out for yourself. Why? Because we all have our own relationship with Christ Jesus. We're called to work it out. So for those of you who are amening the verses that we read earlier, the six clobber passages as they're called, how's your grace? How's your humility? How's your search for peace? Because I can, I can tell you right now that I definitely still mess up. And I'm so thankful that scripture tells us that his mercies are new every morning. Because even as a believer, this side of heaven, I'm a sinner saved by grace. There's common ground. Here's what happens, and I think Pastor Tom did a phenomenal job of talking about this when we, when we did the panel, is, is in light of eternity, we've somehow created this, this hierarchy of sin. And if that's what you're looking for, there's other religions that will give you that freely. Where if you sin just a little less than other people, you might actually have a shot of getting into heaven. See, when, when we get to the foot of the cross... It's flat. Book of James, for if you have broken one of these commandments, you have broken them all. The only reason we attack certain sins so greatly is because they're more obvious. The reason that we go after homosexuality in our culture this day and age is because it's so obvious when people are actually diving into that sin. You know what one always gets me, and, and I'll, <laughs> I said it at our, at our staff retreat, and, and it went over about probably how it will in here tonight. How many of us ever address people about their sin of gluttony? You ever stop to confront your friend about their gluttony? No, we're, way, we're way, way faster to go address people's homosexuality. We're way faster to go fight against someone being a public drunk. But we won't bat an eye at the people going to the gold. Thank goodness Golden Rouse shut down. Sweet tomatoes I'm mad about. I love that one. They at least had a salad bar, so it was like healthy. Golden Crow didn't have a salad bar. You can tell me they did. They didn't have one. They had like a gravy fountain next to a chocolate fountain that you can just go back and forth from. <laughs> you don't know what you're putting on your mashed potatoes. <laughs> Guys, it is common ground at the cross. It is common ground for us as believers. I get it. In our earthly, temporal, judicial system that even God is over and God has instituted, yes, the weight of different sins has different consequences. I'm not going to go spend 20 to life in prison for lying on a homework assignment. I will if I kill my teacher so they can't grade that homework assignment. But to God's moral standards, they are the same. And so grace has to be our answer 
when we start addressing topics and people and family members and loved ones who are struggling or walking through the LGBTQ community. We do not have to be the guy on the box on the side of Almerton and Starkey with a sign that says turn or burn. And so I want to leave us all with a warning tonight. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, but understand this. That in the last days, there will come a time of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, uh, will be lovers of self lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not good, or not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure than rather lovers of God. Having the, having the appearance of godliness but denying, in their, uh, but denying its power, avoid such people. And I think all of us just got uncomfortable because all of us, if we were actually honest with ourselves for a hot five seconds, we see ourselves in that list. There's something on that list that hits us, that we struggle with, that we're walking through. And if you go, no, nah, I'm a believer. I don't sin. No, you got a way different conversation. Because if you believe in, in sinless perfection, this side of heaven... I really want to talk to you before you leave. Verse 6, For among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambre opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupting in mind and disqualifying, uh, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of those two men. See, you can act godly all you want while you confront this broken world. You can act like you have this high horse that you can go down to downtown St. Pete, call them all sinners, and say homosexuals are going to hell. But have you ever stopped to think, man, should I check my own heart before I go call out someone else's? You can act all righteous in all of your motives for politics and culture wars. It's a blessing and a curse having to run the Instagram for all three of our ministries currently, middle school, high school, and young adults. It blows my mind the way some of us act here and at church and then what you post on social media. It's why I said it. I, I, internet sucks. I, I don't know. I'm old, I guess. But it just blows my mind. We sit here and, and we, we have the appearance, the appearance of godliness and yet we have no power of it because we don't actually walk and hold to it. See, just as James says, the power of the tongue. Men, men and humanity was given the power to subdue the earth. They, they were given the power to name and subdue all creation, the, the animals and everything. And he tells us the one thing we can't is our tongue. 
There's a reason for that. Because it's so easy to say whatever we want without regard to truth or, or objective morality or anything because we can just say it. It's so easy to lie to people because I'm not the one that has to fact check myself. And our culture is so instant just gratification that people just believe hot garbage. The statistics that I tell you of 96% of people who walked away from church in young adult age was because of inconvenience. I could have lied to all of you about that. Because I know for a fact there is none of you sitting in this room going, okay, I'm going to go check Lifeway myself. Right? I could have easily lied. Check it. Lifeway study. I should have brought the papers with me. See, but here's the beauty of this. In verse 9, it goes on to say, but they will not get very far, for in their folly it will be plain to see. God will not be mocked. So when your politics outweighs the grace of God, when your Facebook debates outweigh your display of God's grace, when your political stances and the way you approach them cause more hatred than healing, and you're doing it all in the name of God, he will not be mocked. That's why I think it's absolutely hilarious that we still put on things that, like one nation under God. Like we're some holy nation over here. Somehow we're found somewhere in Revelation. We're like the bear, I think. I don't know, that might be Russia. Can we get over ourselves? Can we please just do that tonight? Can we get to the place to where I can love people in truth? Can we get to the place that, that anyone of any sin nature and struggling with anything can walk through these doors and hear truth in such a loving way that they might not agree and they might not like it, but they're going to feel loved because we're at least sharing the truth and we're treating them with kindness? None of us went to the Lord and we're like, yeah, we love the gospel because you slap us in the face constantly. No, we went because Jesus Christ did the most loving thing possible. He took the cross. He bled all of his blood. He then conquered sin and death and said, I now can give it to you. He said, I had DeMarco in mind when the world went black for three hours and my own father wouldn't look at me because I was so buried in the weight of sin that Christ cried out, Father, why have you forsaken me? And as he rose, he was waiting for that moment that DeMarco heard the gospel and said, I can't do anything else but give my life to him. How many of us have had conversations and then we almost feel broken up about it because we're like man it didn't go as good as I wanted right like you might not have won the argument or all these things right we always we always act like saving others is is our job I don't know about you guys but there's not a single verse in scripture that says winning souls is on commission I also don't think that there's any verse in the gospel narrative where Jesus was like, hey, I'm going to spill 
I need you to slit your wrist and spill the other 2% for me, please. Your blood's going to help bring forgiveness. You know what he's asking us? He's asking us, hey, I want you to pick up your sin. I want, you, I want you to be real with yourself, and I want you to look at who you truly are as a sinner. And I want you to lay it at the cross. I want you to lay it at the cross where the perfect price was paid. Then I want you to repent and believe onto the one who spilled that blood. You know what we bring to the gospel? Our sin. You know what you bring to your salvation? The fact that you need a savior. So instead of being nasty and haughty and arrogant and just plain belligerent all over social media and in the world, can we just love in a truthful way? I'm not asking you to accept sin. I'm asking you to just be a genuinely loving human being who knows the truth of God's word so that as you build relationships with people, you can actually share the truth with them. I can save you guys a lot of money on apologetics classes. You ready? Get, ask questions and get to know people. If you know your Bible and if you're studying your Bible every single day and you're, and you're spending time in God's word, then you know your Savior. You know what he says about you. He knows every, you're just diving into it. It's not going to be hard to then go, hey, Ben, how you doing? Good. Hey, Ben, how, how's that one aspect of your life going? Right? I'm not, I'm not trying to load up bullets in my head of verses that I can condemn him with. I'm trying to get to know him so I can find an in to where his brokenness is revealed and I can show him healing. That's, that's what we should be doing. So when we have family members and friends and people who are walking through a lifestyle of homosexuality and people who might be advocating for that type of lifestyle, instead of just ignoring them and walking away from them and saying, we hope downtown St. Pete goes like Sodom and Gomorrah, And instead of the opposite, where we just go and beat them over the head with Bibles and bricks. Love and truth. We talked about it when, when we were talking about, well, what about the whole pronoun society? Right? Well, here's a great thing. Get to know their name. And whether Charlotte, who know, now goes by Charlie, right? I can, hey, Charlie, God loves you. Even though he knows your real name and I might not, God loves the real you. So much so that he died on the cross. So that you don't have to change your identity. So that you don't have to lie about your sexuality and gender. He loves you so much that you can be you. Why? Because being authentic to yourself isn't diving into your heart and figuring out who you truly are, like Disney. It's looking up to the one who created you and saying, I know you have a plan and a purpose for who I am. 
Finding your authentic self is surrendering all of you to the one who created you. That's the message we need to be teaching that community. That's the message of hope that we can bring to anyone who's struggling with any type of sin. So instead of using scripture to browbeat people, let's use scripture to love people into the arms of Christ. I'm going to leave you with these four points. See, sin is sin is sin. There's no way around it. Sin is sin. No matter how far you twist scripture, you can't break it or change it. The truth of scripture stands no matter who you are, where you're from, or, or what you want to believe. God has given us his holy word, and he meant every word of it. So much so that Jesus said, let those be accursed who try to screw with it. So we do not shy away from calling sin out. But when we address the sin in others, we must remember to be redemptive like Christ. If your only hope is to win an argument, stop. Stop doing whatever you're doing. It's gross. God's not going to look at you at the heaven's gates and go, you had 901 arguments. Good, good job, well and faithful servant. Come on in. No, he's going to say, did you actually get the gospel? Like, did, did you get John 3.16 right? You might have won all these arguments in your head, but did your heart ever get it? How are you loving people? How are you expressing my gospel to the world? We're not here just to break people down and beat them and win arguments. We're here to break them down to build them up with truth. That is what we're here for. And for those of you who have been hurt by these passages and hurt by scripture in life, don't hate Jesus for how men wield his word. Don't hate Jesus for how the church has treated you. Don't hate Jesus for how people have tried to witness to you on the street. Don't hate Jesus for the guy who's like, if your voter card says Democrat, you're going to hell. <laughs> and that's why we show grace to people like Ian. Right? Because this is a serious topic and a serious word. And we can try to downplay it, downplay it to, to avoid the confrontation that it brings tonight, but I want all of us to be able to be men and women who stand up on Scripture and can love the way Christ loved us in truth. So if you've been hurt by people who claim the name, run to the one who actually holds the name. Because no one else has been given the name of Christ. Godly believers and godly churches will give you the truth with a path forward. That's what we're here for. That's what our whole church stands on. That's why we do all that we do. Why do you think we have Grady up here reading the catechism? Why do you think we have people greeting you at the doors and doing attendance and serving food? Why do you think we do any of this? If it wasn't for the gospel of Jesus Christ, I promise you, Pastor Danny would rather be at home watching Toy Story with his children. But he understands that there are children getting lied to constantly, middle schoolers, high schoolers, young adults, constantly getting lied to that if we don't step up into the gap, they won't hear the truth of the gospel. 
So as you dive into your questions around your table tonight, and as we spend some time talking with each other, I want you to really press in to how do we balance speaking the truth that is God's word with the love that is Christ himself. We do this out of love. Martha could be literally anywhere else. They could be on their beautiful land in Tennessee, four-wheeling with her awesome husband, who I think would probably terrify me on a four-wheeler. But she's here. She's here to love on you guys. Can we start being that community out there? Can we start humbling ourselves enough? Scripture says that we have a joy that goes beyond us, a peace that's beyond understanding. There's a lot of us who are believers that have never experienced that because you're always on the attack to a sinful world. Have you ever thought for a second that if you just experience and sit in that peace, you will actually radiate it to the world and you're going to get a lot further along than you do by arguing? You're going to get a lot further along with speaking genuine truth when you're a peaceful person. Let's bow our heads, let's bow our hearts, and then we'll go into small group times. Father, thank you for tonight. God, it's a hard topic. It, it, it genuinely is, and we could, I, I know I go long anyways, God, but God, we could go on for hours, if not days, dissecting the true Hebrew and Greek and the verbiage and the context. But God, at the end of the day, it's who are we submitting to? God, you, you, you sent your son into a world that only three chapters in humanity hated you. They thought they could be better than you. And yet you entered in and you brought redemption. God, if there's a single person in this room tonight who has never actually given their life to King Jesus, who has never said, you know what? I know that I am a sinner, as Romans 3.23 tells me, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who knows that, that God, they're now realizing that if they stay in their sin, it's eternity in death and hell. And yet you said through your son, Jesus Christ, there is eternal life in a new heaven and new earth with you for eternity, God. And the only way that can happen is as we confess with our mouth that he is Lord, and believe in our hearts that he was raised physically three days later from the grave. God, if we believe in the completed work of Christ, this side of heaven, we might not be perfect, God. And we know that for sure. But we are made alive. We're no longer dead in our trespasses. We're now alive in Christ. We look different. It might feel weird. It might be weird. We might slip up. We might mess up still, but we're sinners saved by grace, God. We look different because now we're alive to chase after you and show the world how much better it is to belong to Jesus than to belong to culture. God, help us to love the people in the LGBTQ community in a way to where they can see the truth and hear the truth and have genuine conversation about the truth and not feel like they're being hunted down like animals. Not feel like they have to go on the attack and not even give us five seconds of a conversation, God. We should be open-armed people saying, God loved you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And if you believe that message, repent from your wickedness and believe unto Christ. Let us be those people that love people so much we want to chase after them, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you and all those people said.
Amen. So if you're new tonight, this time we just spend a few minutes. There's questions on the table. Some of your friends might have grabbed them already. We just want you to talk with them, with each other. So if you don't have them, grab them. If not, we're going to put some time. And also, ladies and gentlemen, I sit up front. So if you need to have a personal conversation or if you need to talk through something, I sit right here for you. So there you go.